Hey, good morning. I'm Josh, one of the ministers. If you are a guest, welcome to the Clear Creek family. We are, you, you do not know how much it means to us that you would join us today. And if you're looking for a place to belong, you need to know that you can belong here before you maybe even fully believe. And you don't have to have it all figured out where you behave perfectly to belong here either because Jesus invited each of us into this relationship and he said, hey, come follow me, check it out, kick the tires. And so you just need to know we're glad you're here. And for those who are joining us in the cafe or online, welcome. Uh, You picked a great day to join us because today we're starting a brief three-week teaching called I Love My Church. I love my church. I need you to know that I love you. I love this church. But more importantly, Jesus loves his church. And I thought it'd be appropriate that we talk about this idea of loving the church, especially in light of the holiday that comes this Friday, February the 14th. Now, men, you don't have to answer. In fact, guys, don't say anything. But ladies... I'm helping you out, guys. Ladies, what is the holiday this Friday that every man should know? What is the name of the holiday? Valentine's Day. Day. Exactly. Men, I know you knew that already. Okay, so, in fact, before we get into this, I just want us to take a moment and, and we're going we're gonna to just honor some folk here this morning because one of the things as we come into seasons like this, we want to, to make heroes of the right people. We believe it's important to make heroes of the right people. And so uh, I'm going to ask, if you are married, maybe you've been married only for a day or 15 decades, I mean, anywhere in that range, you're like, that's 150 years. Now, okay, whatever, but how long you've been married, doesn't matter, but if you are married, would you just go ahead and stand up? All our married people, go ahead and stand up. Hey, can we just give a round of applause to those who are together? That's good. Now, stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. And here's the way I want to do this. I, I want us to recognize those who have been in the trenches the longest, And you go, trenches, if you've not been married more than two weeks, you don't get the reference. Some of you are like, oh, baby, it'll always be butterflies. And (laughs) so we want to honor those who've been in the trenches of marriage and, and, and still love each other. So if you've been married five years or more, remain standing. Five years or more, remain standing. Everyone else, if it's under five years, go ahead and grab a seat. Okay. If you've been married 10 years or more, stay standing. Wow, 15 years or more standing, 20 years or more, 25 years or more, ooh, that was a big one, okay, 30 years or more, 35 years or more, 40 years or more, 45 years or more, boy, we're getting into the golden zone here, aren't we, 50 years or more. Isn't it, wow, this is incredible. Hey, let's keep going, let's keep going. Okay, if you have been married for 55 years or more, stay standing. Ooh. Man. 60 years or more, if it's 60 years or more, 65 years or more, boy. Oh, 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 oh. okay, stay standing, hold on. If it's 60, 65 years or more, 65 years. Can we get a big round? 65 years. Now, 
Now, now, I want you to notice the secret to a great marriage. His wife is not sitting with him. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She, where's your sweetheart? Uh, okay. Listen, hey, go ahead. Would you stand up in the back here? Let's see. Can we just give another round of applause? There we go. I love it. I love it. Listen, there are so many things that this world says I love. And I just want you to know we want to celebrate the right things and make heroes of the right people who follow God's way. Now listen, listen, listen. I know for some of you, as soon as we start talking about marriage, that that creates a wound in your heart because of the way things happened even with your parents maybe. Or, or maybe in your own marriage, it didn't last or something happened. But here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. We want to honor the good things and remind you that no matter what your story is, God takes brokenness and mends it. Amen? That's the story of scriptures. That doesn't matter where we are. We all are broken. We've all done things that have both hurt God, hurt others, and ourselves, and yet the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he came for broken people, and he brings us and fixes us, and he does a great work in us so that the worst moment of your life in the hands of Jesus becomes the first line of your testimony. He, I was this, but now I'm this. And so we want to honor that. Now, I've been thinking a lot about what it means to love someone or something. Lindsay and I just celebrated, my goodness, compared to so many of you, we're babies. We've only celebrated 14 years in December. But I remember when I was out two weeks ago visiting some friends in the community. They don't go to church anywhere. And we were talking about just life. And I shared that I was married. And they said, well, how long have you been married? And I said, 14 years. And, and one of the people I'm talking to is only 21. But, but the person's eyes bugged out. They're like, wow, that's amazing. And I'm thinking, well... I'm glad you think so, but this is what we want all people to aspire to, is a, is a marriage that lasts. And the reason is, is because this is a relationship picture that we're going to see in just a moment from Scripture about our relationship with God. Now, when we talk about the church, the church, there's a lot of images that come to mind when we think of the church. In fact, let's just sort of start with this big question. If you were to go out and talk to someone in this city and say this question, what do you think about when you think of the church? What do you think about when you think of the church? How many of us know you'd get all sorts of pictures shared back with you, wouldn't you? I mean, some people would say, well, I think of maybe a building, or I think of stained glass windows, I think of a style of worship maybe, or I think about a potluck, By the way, if this is what you think of, chances are you grew up in the Church of Christ. And a lot of us, we have different pictures, or some people, they'll tell you, no, I don't think of these things. I think of a system, or a hierarchy, or I think of rules, or I think of hypocrites, or I think of judgmental people. How many of us know that the pictures, the words we would get back are varied, and there's so many of them, but here's the better question. I think instead of asking, what do you think of when you think of the church, is this question. What does God think of when he thinks of the church? Have you ever thought about what God thinks of when he thinks of the church? What picture comes to his mind? What emotions fill his heart? What does God think of when he thinks of of the church. And I'm going to tell you what you think of when you think of the church is fundamental to being a follower of Jesus Christ. It is fundamental to living out what he has called us into. It is fundamental for your joy. It is fundamental for your peace. 
It is fundamental for all the things that we value. And if you're a guest this morning, maybe you left church because you had a picture of the church that was not very positive. Or maybe you're a guest this morning and this is your first time back in many months or many years because something happened and the church hurt you. And so you say, well, my picture is not this. Here's what I want to do over the next three weeks. I want to give you a picture of the church from Scripture that I think will both support and comfort your soul as well as giving you a vision for the future. What does God think of when he thinks of the church? Here's, here's where I want us to begin. The word church, if you were to sort of excavate that word, it comes from a Greek word, this Greek word, ekklesia. You want to learn a Greek word? Here it is. Let's all say it together. Ekklesia. Ekklesia. It means the called out people of God. The called out people. Ek means out of. Kaleo is the called. So it's the called out people of God. And if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you find that the church is the called out people of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world. So if someone says, what is the church? The answer is the called out people of God. So what is the church? Church, it is the... Yes, the called out people of God. That's what the church is. And this is why in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to peruse this passage later this week, in Matthew 16, Jesus is with some of his closest followers and he says, who do people say I am? And Peter, one of the followers, says to Jesus, well, you're the Messiah, meaning you're the chosen one of God. You are God's instrument for our salvation. You are God in a bod. That's what he is saying. And Jesus says, attaboy, Peter, attaboy, on this confession... That Jesus is God's son. Jesus says, I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail. In other words, the called out people of God, the church is this. Notice this next thing. The church is a people, it's not a place. The church is a people, it's not a place. The church is not a destination where you go For one hour each week, the church is who you are every hour of the week. This is why sometimes the church has a bad reputation because those in the church think that church is where we go on Sundays and we forget to be the church on Mondays. But the church is a people. It's not a place. And so the church got this in the first few years. And they said, we're going to be the called out people of God. We won't live and look and act the way that most people do. Not in a judgmental way or, or a better than thou way, but more of a, hey, we want to serve instead of be served. We want to give instead of get. We want to love even when it's easier to hate. And so the church was the called out people of God and we got it right for about 300 years. It only took us 300 years to mess it all up. By the time around the third century, we began to have a different idea of what the church is. In fact, we stopped calling ourselves the called out people of God, the ecclesia, and instead we started translating this thing as really just the church, which comes from an old German word, kirch, which means the house of God. We went from the called people of God to a house, a place. But the church has never been a building or a place. It has always been a people on the move for a purpose, 
filled, empowered with the Holy Spirit to change the world. And I got to tell you, this small little shift in theology from being a people to being thought of as a place has led to some of the worst moments in church history. In fact, some of those embarrassing things that have happened in our history, the Inquisition, the Crusades, are all because people began to think of the church as a place, not as a people. And so those who were in control of the place, the building, they got to be in control of the traditions. And if you're in control of the traditions, you got to craft and control what is supposedly the truth. And if you can control the truth, then you can control the people. But hear me now, the church has never been a place. It is the people. This is great news means when you go home today, guess what? The church has left the building. When you have a small group tonight or later this week, guess what? Your church is gathered. When you go to Starbucks, the church is in Starbucks. When you go to your work, the church is in your workplace because the church is not a place, it is a people. Now, we cannot get this wrong. The stakes are too high. The mission is too great. So what does it mean to be the people of God? Well, it turns out there are all these pictures God uses in Scripture, metaphors, to describe the church. And this morning, for our last few minutes, I just want to take you through one picture of the church, one metaphor, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, you can look at my Bible right here on screen. This is what a man named Paul says the church is, and he does it this way. He says, husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant ecclesia without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one else, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then Paul sort of says, listen, this is a profound mystery. I'm I'm sort of talking about a man and a woman and how they come together. He says, but all this imagery about husbands and wives, he says, really, I am talking about Christ and the, say this word with me, church. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus Christ loved the church church. He uses an image of a husband and a wife. This isn't the first time that imagery of a bride is used in Scripture to describe the church. The first one in the New Testament to bring this up is John the Baptist. You can read it later this week, but in John chapter 3, John the Baptist begins to describe how Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the groom who's come, and he's here to get his girl, to get his bride. But Paul now begins to say, I want you to understand the depth of God's love for you. And one of the pictures I've got you to grab onto is the church is like a bride. I want to give you three things to write down, how the church is like a bride, why this matters, because you'll have a better understanding of God's love for you. So when we say, I love my church, and when you hear Jesus loves his church, you'll have a better understanding of what that means. Here's the first thing. We are called a bride because it implies intimacy. It implies intimacy intimacy. In fact, put this next slide up. Intimacy is simply this. 
God loves your wives, God, or sorry, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He has this depth of love, this intimacy with her. In fact, if you go down to verse 32, it says, a man and woman leave mommy and daddy. By the way, just time out real fast here. Young men, if you want a lady, move out of mom and dad's house first, okay? If you want a wife or a girlfriend, it's better that you not be a basement dweller in your 60s, okay? So get a job, take a bath, move out, then get a woman, Anyone want to say amen? Okay, we'll get back to this now. You love your wives as Jesus loves the church, but the first thing you need to know is that this relationship is intimate. Intimacy, put this next slide up. Intimacy means that Jesus knows you. See, sometimes when we hear this, and I I gotta be honest, when I hear that, you know, I'm 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 the bride of Christ, I don't know about you guys, but some of, I just kind of go, I'm not a woman. I don't wear a dress. I don't like this imagery. Listen, the reason it bugs some of us guys is because we're thinking too shallow with this word. I want you to think deeper. When you hear the word intimacy, often we think simply physical connection, but intimacy is not simply physical. How many of us know that you can have a physical relationship and yet never truly be intimate with someone? Intimacy is not simply physical. Intimacy has to do with transparency. Do you see the other person for who they really are? Do you have to wear masks to be with the other one or can you take off the mask and be who you are? Here's what this means, that Jesus Christ knows you. He knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden from his gaze and get this, even still, he chose you. He loves you. He picked you out of the crowd. He said, you're mine. Intimacy comes from a place of trust. Listen, where there is no trust, there will never be true intimacy. But Jesus says, I see you. In fact, this word intimacy, let's see if we can sort of break it apart. Intimacy, intimacy, in, how about this? Into me see. Intimacy is into me see. It's the ability to see beyond the superficial. Here's the reality. I love you guys as my church. I pray for you every day. I think about you. I weep with you. This week I heard some sad news of a sister in Christ whose brother-in-law passed away and I'm, I'm brokenhearted for her. I celebrate with you. But how many of us know, even though I love you, my wife, Lindsay, I love her differently than you because I know her and she knows me on a different level. The intimacy is that God says, I want you to know me in a way no one else can know me. I want you to know me. God's desires that you know him, love him, and be with him. This is the first picture is intimacy. Now, the second one is this. It's protection. The reason that we are this picture of bride is that you've got intimacy and you've got protection. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a confession that uh, is not going to surprise most of you in this room, but here it is. I'm not much of a fighter. Uh, okay, I know it's a shock. Hang, hang with me now. I, I, I'm not, 
Uh, in fact, my dad, we were together last week and, uh, or, or a week and a half ago, and he said one of the most vivid memories he has of my growing up, he's like, hey, Josh, you know the memory that I have of you? And I'm like, this is going to be that moment that I made that outside three-point jump shot to the win the game. No, it wasn't that. Oh, it's going to be that moment where I did this great thing. No, it wasn't. You know the memory that my father thinks of when he thinks of me? It's the moment when he was at his home. They have this big bay window in the back of their house. They had the youth group over. When I was growing up, I was not youth group age. So these guys are much older than me. And he says, I remember, Josh, seeing you come tearing across the backyard Chased by four giant dudes who wanted to kill you. (laughs) That's the image my father has of his son. Thank you very much. I'm not a fighter. In fact, here's the thing. Sometimes there are guys who, they bow up. As soon as you speak against them, they just kind of, oh yeah? But but, but I'm not going to do that. You want to know why? We live in the South. And everyone has a gun in the South. I was at my small group. I've got a group of guys I get with on Thursday morning, 5.30 a.m. I come in the first morning. I roll up. I'm there a couple minutes late. I get in. I walk in. I'm not making this up. The guys all have their pistols out showing them, well, guns, gun pistols, and showing them to each other. And I'm like, you just don't mess with people in the South. But, But here's the thing. While I'm not a fighter, if you mess with my wife, If you come against her, look, I may not be big, but I will chew your kneecaps off if you come at her. (laughs) Now, how many of you men who stood up a moment ago with your bride of 5, 10, 20, 60 years would not say the same thing? Your girl is yours to protect. How many of us are thankful that there is a man named Jesus who says, I choose you and I protect you? Some of us will not get to the other side until we know we'll get to heaven. And that's when we see the number of times that the enemy came against you. And yet Jesus Christ stepped in and said, you back off. She is mine. I protect her. I love her. You will not harm my girl. You need to understand that Jesus doesn't just choose you, but he protects you. He knows everything, every good and bad thing. And he says, you're mine and you're under my protection. Isn't that good news? Okay, let me try this again. Isn't that good news? There's intimacy, there's protection. And here's the third one. By the way, let me, before I say this, some of you are saying, Josh, where do you get that from? The next line in verse 25, right after it says that Jesus Christ, he loves the church. It says he also gave himself up for her, meaning he has already laid down his life for you to prove that he loves you. See, at that moment where the bill came due for your sin, Jesus Christ said, I'll take the bullet and said, I got you covered. There's intimacy, there's protection. And number three, Being the bride means that you get the rights, the rights of being related to Jesus Christ. 14 years ago, Lindsay and I said, I do, I do. And the preacher said, you're done. And and, and then we kind of came together. And what's interesting is this, before we were married, all my stuff was just my stuff. My (laughs) ancient, beaten up, stick shift truck It may be beaten up, but it was mine. 
and it was just mine. But the moment she said, I do, and I said, I do, that moment what I had became hers. She took on the possessions that I have. She took on the name, the rights. You need to know that you get the rights of Jesus Christ. What is his is now yours. What is his is now yours. And I was so excited when Lindsay and I got married. I was like, oh, that's so great. Now, my, my stuff is yours. My possession is yours. And, and you, get, you, oh, you get the glorious last name of Diggs. Now, now, here's the thing. You think that's bad. You don't even know what the name means. See, at Christmas this year, I was thinking, man, you know, I got sort of a dud of a name. I didn't realize how much of a dud. I go to my mom and dad's house. They have a framed picture, and it's uh, the Diggs coat of arms, because evidently our family has a long history or something, and uh, either that or they went online and found it. I don't know, but we have this. And so I start reading the description. I'm like, oh, wow. And then it comes to the description of what the name, the etymology of the name Diggs. Do you want to know what the glorious last name of Diggs means? The glorious last name of Diggs means one thought to possess the characteristics of a duck. Welcome to the family of ducks, baby. Quack, quack. (laughs) But this is what she gets. When she said, I do, she takes on the entirety, the rights, the privileges, the names. Hear me now, friend. When you came into relationship with Jesus Christ, you were not named after a duck. You were named after the divine. You get the possessions of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that you have now been given everything for life and godliness. Scripture tells us that you now have an inheritance in heaven. Scripture tells us now you are called by a new name. You are no longer defined by your old name. Listen, it doesn't matter where you grew up, who you were, what you've done. If you are in Christ Jesus, you now have a new name, rights, privileges. This is what it means to be the church. You have intimacy with God, you are protected by Jesus, and you are now given the rights of Jesus. Now there's a flip side to this, and this is the one sometimes we don't want to listen or think about, but I just want us to end on this one thought. See, when you come together with Jesus, it's not simply that you get something from him, but now he gets something from you. Now you have intimacy with him. You know Jesus. The reason we gather, church, is not out of some legalistic we have to. It's rather so we will come and know him more and more and more and trust him deeper and deeper. You have intimacy. You have protection, meaning he died for you. Now you live for him. You are his and he is yours. And when it comes to the rights, it's not just that what is his is yours, but now what is yours is his. Your life is not your own, Paul says. Your desires, not your own. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are the church, then who you are, what you are, is now his. Now let me ask you, what would it look like in our culture if this is what the church was known for? If it was known to say we are here to know Jesus, love Jesus, be about Jesus. Our lives are for Jesus, about Jesus, belonging to Jesus. 
All that I have, all that I am, all that I possess, they are for him and his service. How would that change everything if we lived and we knew and we showed that the church is a people, not just a place? Here's the first picture. I love the church because you are the bride of Christ. Think about this and we'll close. What would happen if I came up to you and said, man, I love you, dude. You're my boy. I'm for you. I am, I'm behind you. I'm in your corner. But that wife of yours, eh, I like you, but I can't stand her. How many of you would now have a problem with me because I have a problem with your wife? You need to understand That to be a follower of Jesus means that you are a fellow in the church. You love the church. And so here's where we're going to end. I love the church because Jesus loves the church. And we've got bumps and bruises, and we're going to talk about those. But you need to know, first and foremost, that you are the bride of Christ, the beloved of God, chosen, holy, blameless in his sight. And now, because of that, you get to represent him to the world.